they're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Bilodeau. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got it. Yes! yes. It is off the podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another interview. We are getting back into the sport of cross-country skiing. And we are speaking to two-time Australian Olympic cross-country skier, Jessica Yaten. And I'm going to say that right now, Yaten, mispronounced her name at the beginning of this interview. So I uh, just make sure I correct myself here. Uh, fantastic chat, though, with Jess, learning a lot about her journey from growing up in a bunch of different countries, moved around a lot as a child, to being a two-time Olympian in the sport of cross-country skiing. Fascinating journey from uh, Australia through to Dubai, through to the US, sort of her journey then through the collegiate system of skiing in the US of A, and even through deciding whether or not she's going to compete for US or Australia, what brought about that decision, the process then of becoming an Olympian in 2018, and all the way through to 2022, where she did create history. You'll hear me in this introduction say the history that she created for Australia at Beijing. So a lot to unpack, a lot to get to here. It's a very honest, very open interview here from Jess, and I know you are going to enjoy every single second of it. So sit back, relax, and listen to our chat with two-time Australian Olympic cross-country skier, Jessica Yates. <laughs> So excited to welcome our next guest to Off the Podium today, returning to the great sport of cross-country skiing. She is a two-time Olympian, having competed in Pyeongchang in 2018 and earlier this year in Beijing, where she actually created history for Australia, finishing the highest ever individual position of an Australian cross-country skier, where she finished 31st in the skiathlon. We're going to learn a little bit more about that and everything else in between in her great career. Please welcome to Off the Podium, Jessica Yeaton. Jess, first of all, pleasure to have you here on Off the Podium. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. It's always exciting to chat to any Olympian on this show, but uh, I've never hidden the fact that I'm a bit more of a winter fanboy on this program. We spoke to uh, your teammate, Casey Wright, just before Beijing, and now we're here several months removed, of course, from Beijing. Uh, First of all, congratulations on your performances. Uh, I mean, have you sort of settled down, gotten back into normal life? I mean, I can imagine it's so much prep going into an Olympics, and then all of a sudden they're done and you got to get back to normal life. So how's that all been for you in the months that have happened since Beijing? Yeah, it's been wild, I guess. I kind of jumped straight back into things. So I'm in the US, um, I'm studying physiotherapy. So I kind of had a bit of a break after Beijing. Like I maybe had four, four or five weeks or something to get everything together. And then I jumped back into clinical placements and um, training and whatnot. And I yeah, didn't really feel like I had a time to like come down. I did a couple more races, but I kind of feel like when you're just always kind of getting after things, it's like a little easier because you don't like have time to process it. <laughs> that's like a bit of my, my like, you know, approach to life, I guess. But sometimes I do wish 
there was a bit more downtime, I guess. <laughs> it was, must be such an interesting feeling because, I mean, obviously, as I said, we spoke to Casey just before the Olympics and now it's sort of that period afterwards. And we've had a couple of athletes who competed in Beijing since. And I don't know, do you, do you miss kind of that real, I guess, drive going into an Olympics and all that pressure that leads up to it? Or is it a case of you love every second of an after Olympics because it's the, maybe the one rare time you really do get a chance to kind of put your hair up for a little bit at least and kind of relax before getting back into that next cycle if you move on, of course? Yeah, no, I don't miss it at all, actually. I don't I don't love the pressure. <laughs> I really love the training. I actually don't mind the racing, like racing in itself, but I like despise the pressure. And I, I, I think it like is good because it kind of fuels you and you obviously have goals and goals are great. But in itself, like I find that very stressful and I wouldn't say I'm the person that like craves added stress, but obviously we have these goals and like the Olympics is worth it. So you kind of put up with it, but I think it feels really good to be done and to like, you know, I'm still going to train lots and focus towards future things, but it's not that like layer of stress you have where it's like all or nothing for the Olympics. So I, I'm pretty happy right now, kind of afterwards, just focusing on like other things just cause it is a lot of stress. <laughs> I love your story into the sport because you're obviously born in Perth. You move to Texas at two. You move to Dubai at six, and then you move to Alaska at twelve. Now, I read this was because your dad's job was your dad a secret agent. I mean, kind of like what 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 did your dad do? I just I'm intrigued why you move around so much. Yeah, you're allowed to tell me today, Jess. No, I wish he wishes he was a secret agent. He was a biologist <laughs> for ConocoPhillips for oil. he was so he worked in oil. So he would lived in. I think he moved to Australia, like, I don't know, way back when, like in the eighties or something and like seventies. Um, but the office closed down in Perth. And so that's why we ended up like coming back to the U S but he's American. He's from New Jersey. So my mom's Australian. Most of my family is in Perth. Um, so kind of an interesting upbringing because I probably wouldn't have gotten into skiing at all had I lived in Australia. Cause I would have lived in Perth. So, <laughs> so it is kind of interesting because, you know, like not, not many of us, you know, I guess there's, we have, um, another athlete on the team whose family's from Perth, Lars, and he's like similar to me or you know, he grew up overseas, but his family's from there, but everyone else is kind of not from that area. So. Yeah. It's sort of not the winter hotbed. I mean, generally everyone's sort of Victorian or New South Wales, right? It's kind of not exactly a lot of snow in Perth really, is there? No. In fact, someone actually said to me, it was when I was like 19 or something, they were like, uh, it was actually the coach of the Australian team at the time. He was an American and he was like, are you actually Australian? And I was like, yeah, and like, no, there's a ski team. And I was like, no, I, I didn't. Because when I go to Australia, I'm like at the beach the whole time. I had no idea. So um, that was kind of my introduction to it, I guess. Because <laughs> you were 12, I believe, when you were in Alaska, when you really got yeah. into skiing. So sort of in the lead up to that, were you doing lots of other sports as a, as a child, sort of in between what sort of other sports were you taking part in? I mean, I grew up swimming, as you do. Um, my mom had me in the water really young, so swim team. Um, and then I kind of, like, drifted into more endurance sports. I did a lot of cycling, so I raced, like, road cycling, a little bit of mountain biking, did a bit of triathlon, always was running, um, more mostly competitive in cycling, though. Um, and then I kind of shifted to skiing, I guess, around, like, when I was 15 or so. I just decided it was, like, my thing. Um, and that kind of just decided to keep pursuing it in different avenues. Um, so like at the collegiate level here in the U S and then 
um, kind of wanted to shift, like continue pursuing that after I graduated. And so that was kind of when I ended up just started skiing internationally at the World Cup and things like that. So when you were doing those sports growing up before you transitioned into skiing, was something like the Olympics always a dream? Was that something you looked towards with some of those sports that you were competing in? Like a little bit with cycling, maybe like for a while, but to be honest, it always felt like something was very like far off for me. Like that was, yes, it was a dream. But if you had told me, if you went back and told like my 12 year old self, I would have been like, no way. (laughs) So it's pretty cool. I mean, I think you get like accustomed to it, but then when you do have that perspective on it, it's pretty crazy to think that, you know, you've had those opportunities and were able to achieve that. So. And with the skiing aspect, you mentioned sort of endurance. So was Nordic always the preferred skiing discipline? Did you try a hand at Alpine and freestyle and realize that Nordic was the one for you? Yeah. So I actually, like, I remember a first, I'd been in Alaska like two weeks and we went downhill skiing, my first time skiing. And I just like, couldn't even get down the hill. It was horrendous. Um, <laughs> I remember just being like, it was, and it was back when I like snowboard. I remember as a 12 year old, I thought snowboarding was way cooler. So I ditched that and did snowboarding for a while. And then I don't know. Yeah. Just sort of got into actually my mom completely drugged me out on these Nordic adventures. Like I remember just being, why are we doing this? It's horrible. It's hard. I hate it. (laughs) And uh, I don't know, somehow it just grows on you. I think I just gravitate towards the stuff. that's a little more like cardio uh, based, but then I ended up going back and I sort of stopped snowboarding and just drifted towards all these other sports. And that's kind of when I got more involved in triathlon and cycling and running and things. And then I remember when I was like 18, I went back and downhill skied and I was like, wow, this is a lot easier than the last time I tried it. I I don't know if there's like a coordination crossover, but I also thought it was way easier than snowboarding. I was like, why did I even try snowboarding? So I'm always really impressed by people that snowboard because I think skiing is easier, but I don't know. Maybe it depends. I, I, on I like that. I, like, I hope our snowboarders are listening to this right now. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, well, so. I don't know. There might be like much more in common than I think um, between like cross country skiing and skiing, but I just was like, oh my gosh, how did I find this so hard? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, anyway, <laughs> and when you sort of make that you know decision that you're going to stick to the Nordic discipline, is it a case then of I like cross country because I then don't have to shoot every certain distance, or I'm not going to add ski jumping to it? You know, you don't go Nordic combined or biathlon, yeah. and because you think, oh no, cross country is fine, we don't need to add an extra layer of difficulty to this. Totally. Well, I mean, ski jumping just sounds like the most terrifying thing ever. So that's how. <laughs> Um, shooting a gun, never tried it. I don't know, kind of have this feeling I'd be really bad at it. Never liked ball sports too much. So those are out. And then, yeah, I guess like, I don't know, like the downhill aspect, I've just always been more of an uphill person. So at the end of the day, that's kind of like, yeah, I think you gravitate towards what you're good at. And I never found myself particularly gifted at things that were like extreme activities or like that kind of stuff. Although I did do a bit of gymnastics growing up too. I'd throw that in there. So maybe I could have okay. done like aerials or something. No, I, I was don't gonna know. Say the transition <laughs> from gymnastics into cross country. I don't see, I mean, aerials. Yes. Um, but yeah. uh, started training that perhaps, which, what do you think it was about sort of endurance based sports that drew you to it? Was it the, the challenge of it? Did you sort of feel that physically you were better suited to those kind of sports? Yeah, I think it's just, you like, you know, when you're young, you kind of want to do things like you're good at. And I remember I didn't really do, didn't train for running that much. And I was like, wow, like these cross country races, I did pretty well. And I think, I think I'm just more, maybe like my body is a little more endurance wired. So those things come like more naturally to me. So I think you just, when you're, you want to do what you're a little better at, I guess. And so that's kind of 
how it's always been for me. Um, I never felt like I excelled. Like I would, I remember playing like soccer and things like that as a kid. And I was like, wow, I'm terrible at this. And so I didn't (laughs) particularly like, other than the social aspect, I didn't really want to do it. So I think that's just most of what it is, but you do, you just get like addicted to endorphins and the feeling and like pushing yourself. And now it's just like, I can't imagine doing anything else or not having that in my life. So. What's the collegiate system like for cross-country skiing, particularly in Alaska? I can imagine that's uh, an interesting part in itself, given the the distance to the mainland US. I mean, sort of when you start progressing through the ranks, how is that coming up through the collegiate system in the US and then making your way to these international competitions? So the I actually raced, I went to a school in Montana when I was racing collegiately. Um, and that it's kind of a cool system because it's a way you know, you're on this team and it's really fun, but you're also studying and there's scholarships and it's, so it's a really good way to kind of like pursue education and skiing at the same time, but it's also a very high level, which is great because you get really good racing experience. And there's a lot of um, international athletes like Norwegians and Swedish people that will come over um, and be racing. And they've maybe like, you know, like they're maybe they, there's a lot of athletes that were maybe like on the Norwegian national team or something and kind of, phased out a little. So they're still really, really good, but they're looking for something a little extra. Um, and it makes the level really, really high. And so it's really great preparation, preparation for like other international competitions. So I feel like in my journey, it played a really big role just in like development of like racing and like learning racing skills and learning training and like learning how to push yourself and things like that. And so it really prepared me well for when I was like fully transitioning to international racing. And when you make that transition, given you're born in Australia, you're raised in the US, you've got an American dad, I'm assuming you would have dual citizenship. Do you have to make the decision at certain point? Like, I want to compete for Australia, I want to compete for the US. And how do you make that decision? Yeah, so I, like, I think, I guess in 2014, switched my, you have to switch your fist license over basically. And it's pretty easy for me because I'm a dual citizen. So it just like, I've always, I didn't have to get citizenship or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> I think there's, it, the process would be a little harder if you were pursuing your sh- different nation's passport first, I guess, <clears throat> but it's pretty simple from that standpoint. And that's just something I wanted to do to kind of like, um, I guess it's, for me, it opened up a lot of opportunities. Um, I could pursue all of this as a US athlete, but, <clears throat> and like, no one would be like, oh, you know, like, what are you doing kind of thing. Um, but it, it just is a little more opportunity from the international competition standpoint. So that's why I initially did it. And is that, because I, I don't know how much time you would have spent in Australia growing up. I don't know if like it was a case of you come back every year or something like that. But I mean, given that obviously I can imagine you're very tied to the US, but you've obviously got those ties to Australia. So was that a tricky decision to be able to have to I'm not to say turn your back on the US, but I mean, you're sort of competing for a different country when you're spending a lot of the time in a different country, if that makes sense. Yeah, it wasn't actually tricky for me at all because I feel like my entire life I've had this weird, like, like I, um, because, so I, as a kid, I would always go back like the entire summer I'd spend there. And um, my entire family basically is in Australia. I don't really have that much family in the US. And so, you know, people ask me where home is to me a lot. And it's a really tricky question for me to answer. It always has been. I've never felt... Even now when I say I'm from Alaska or something, because usually that's like the simplest thing in the U.S., I don't feel like I'm from Alaska. Like you always have a really big part of where you grew up. And to me, that's not, you know, that's the first part of your life that's completely unrelated to Alaska. And so 
I hate answering that question. And at the root of things, I feel Australian, even though I don't sound like it, or I maybe haven't spent time there. So for me, it was like this really cool opportunity to have ties to like actually something that's really important to me because I've always felt like 50, 50, but I think it's really hard when, you know, you're like, well, I live somewhere and I sound a certain way, but it doesn't make you like, I guess doesn't necessarily mean that's like what you are like most tied to, if that makes sense. Well, I'll test it right now, particularly being Uh, from Perth. Um, (laughs) West coast of Fremantle. Uh, for, for you. Oh, there you go. All right, good. Yeah. That's that's a that's a good answer. I'll say yeah. that one there. I, I don't go for either, but like I, I'm I'm not a West Coast fan, so I'll just yeah. kind of push that there. But what? So when it comes to um the Australian cross country scene, because I think when we talked to Casey before Beijing, and it's fascinating to see the amount of athletes that obviously the cross country team has going into an Olympics, and it seems to be that one sport going into any Winter Olympics where Australians every time go, oh, we have a lot of cross country skiers. This is uh, this is unusual. So I mean, the, the team itself seems to be quite well off, and in, in the fact of the athletes. So is it a case of the the scene in Australia for cross country skiing? you know, when you are there competing for Australia, that it's it's a lot more, I guess what I'm trying to say, stacked and there's a lot more athletes out there competing on the world stage than I guess a lot of people in Australia even realise. Yeah, no, it's actually pretty crazy. We have a pretty big team of, and there's a lot of juniors racing. I think people are always surprised when I tell them, like, how many people are on the team. And um, we actually had a really competitive group of girls like this year. It's not like you just... <laughs> Yeah, there's tons of people that I was, and that was what made things really stressful this year. It was like, there was, you know, five or six girls trying for two Olympic spots. Like we don't have as many spots as other nations. And there's actually quite a few girls that are pretty competitive. So um, I think people are always really surprised. I was surprised by it. I had no idea there, there were so many people pursuing the sport, but it's really cool because there's actually a lot of opportunity as an Australian, I think, if you're able to, because there's this whole Australian winter and then you can go and I mean, I guess you don't get much summer is the downside, but you could spend a lot of time on snow um, if you're able to go over and spend the season in Europe or something like that in the winter or the European winter. So, Is that a case because when it comes to cross country, you know, you don't need a very steep downhill or you don't need moguls, you don't need like a ramp. Like it's a case of where the skiing facilities are in Australia, you know, you generally maybe have a bit more access for cross country rather than some of the other skiing disciplines. Yeah, I think so, actually. Like, I, I even recently here, because I'm in Park City right now, and I guess it's, like, one of the only places you can do aerials because they have, like, the water pool and stuff. Because um, I was talking to some athletes about that. And I was like, wow, that must be really tricky because you wouldn't – you just don't have that opportunity. Or it's, like, ski jumping and things like that. Like, yeah. I've never really thought of it that way. But, yeah, with cross country, like, you know, in the winter, you can really go wherever. doesn't really matter. Like, you'll have different snow conditions and different – like, maybe you want to pick – be training in a place where the terrain's a little more suited to a certain way or whatever. Like, I mean, sometimes the snow in certain areas is a little more powdery versus wet or whatever, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You can still train the same. So it doesn't yet yeah, really doesn't matter. So training in Australia is actually awesome because you get a ton of experience with sort of like that wetter snow and like skiing and like trickier conditions, honestly. So it's actually a great place for practice. Um, it's more like skiing on the glacier, which a lot of the U.S. teams will do. Um, and so it's like people actually seek out that kind of terrain in the summer to to train in the off season, I guess. 
and trip to Australia. No one's really going to say no to that, right? So Exactly. No, and a lot of them go to New Zealand and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've always asked that question, right? Come on. Why New Zealand? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, heard it's really windy. So. <laughs> Which, I mean, you mentioned ski jumping. Uh, I always like bringing this up. Australia, the only winter sport we've never had an athlete in is ski jumping. So if you ever decide to make that transition, Jess, you could create history maybe in Milan as Australia's first ever Olympic ski jumper. It's tempting but terrifying. (laughs) Well, you've got, what, three and a half years. So, you know, a bit bit of... (laughs) Probably nail it by then. Can't be that hard. Yeah, surely. I watched Eddie Eagle. It's not that hard. Yeah, you can do exactly. it. You give it a go. <laughs> I, I, I'm very tempted because as a Tasmanian, we're the only state or territory to never have had a winter athlete ever. So I could two Whoa. things at once. The first Tasmanian winter Olympian and the first Australian ski jumper. So, you know, yeah. create history. Yeah, there yeah. you go. It doesn't help yeah. that I'm an absolute wimp and I lasted about 30 seconds on skis the one time I tried it. So, uh, yeah, it might have to try and work on some of that essentially gradually. You know, I'll- I was going to say there's actually a new sport next Olympics, like schema. Have you heard of it? Where yes, you, yeah. I, yeah. It's yeah. Which and I'm more likely to do that than probably ski jumping. So we could get in it together if you wanted. We could exactly. Because I'm I'm so fascinated to see this sport because from what I've read about, I'm like this sounds amazing. So yeah. um, the thing about it is, is that it's. I mean, the downhills are tough, and that might be a bit of a stretch for me. But like, you really just are going straight uphill, and that's yeah. Like, my alley and so i think i could maybe compensate for it so well i mean you were up that's the di- difficult part right surely you just have to just go oh, cool i'm going down now slide on just your way them straight, right just- exactly exactly <laughs> i like that thinking which so you mentioned sort of it's around 2014 then when you're sort of competing internationally was mm-hmm. was this just after sochi i mean was there any realistic chance you could have gone to sochi with that sort of yeah. period where you were competing so if I had learned it, like I just didn't realize that I could be competing for Australia. And so if I had kind of made that realization like a year earlier, I could have, but it was like with the license change, it didn't, it didn't work for me to try to qualify. So which, which is was that, fine. Yeah. Was I was going to say, is that difficult kind of knowing that you're that close or is it a case of you would rather have that extra time so that when you are able to go towards an Olympics, you're maybe better prepared rather than just making up the numbers? I felt that way. And I also felt like a little weird about it. Like I wanted to spend time like with the team and kind of integrating as well. Like I felt a little weird just like switching my license and like being like here, like I'm going to try to qualify for the Olympics. Like it was better the way I did it. Cause I felt like I spent like a couple of years traveling with the team and like really getting to know all the athletes. And like, you also like, there's a level of just international experience, like, and it's very, very intimidating at first. And I think I would have just like it would have been quite scary just going to the Olympics that first year. So um, I think they're, yeah, I'm glad that it was the way it was. So. And does that spur you on then more as well to have that extra time that, you know, everything you just said to push towards the goal of then making Pyeongchang? Yeah, I think so. Like it was definitely always this goal on the horizon, like, and then you had more time to train for it. So I was t- training um, with a team in Alaska at that time. And we had like, some of the best U.S. skiers, um, like one of them won gold in um, whatever the last Olympics was, Pyeongchang, um, and we had a couple like world championship medals. So I always had like this group of really motivated, really fast girls to train with. And it was just like this whole time I had this goal. I don't know. It was just like a really great lead into it, I think. Um, and it just, yeah, I think I was better prepared because of it. 
And do you remember then that moment sort of through everything in that period when it got closer to 2018? Do you remember the moment of qualification that when you had been tapped on the shoulder or given the phone call or the email, however it was, when it was like, cool, Jess, guess what? By the way, you're going to the Olympics. Do you remember that sort of feeling when that came about? Yeah, I do actually because we we were all staying together in Switzerland, in Davos, Switzerland. And it was like, I, we, I mean, it was the same this time around because you even when you kind of know you might be going to, it's like, until it's official, it's not like official. So you're all like kind of a little bit stressed, but I actually had like kind of a hard time. The, the criteria were like, I, I had an easier time qualifying this, this past time, I guess. And so I was a little stressed that first time. And I remember like, yeah, being just so relieved over the whole thing um, and just excited. Um, yeah. Which it's because it's, this is what I love about winter sports is that, you basically, a lot of sports are not 100% guaranteed to go into almost like two weeks before the games. Like, I mean, so many of these summer athletes are qualifying like 18 months out, like good for them. They can just chill and relax. Whereas, you know, I think there are even some with like a week before the Olympics, you don't know you're going. So, and also with the criteria, like you've got a quota, but then you've got to meet the criteria to get like, it's all very stressful. I can imagine it's sort of, do we need to make it simpler for our winter athletes, Jess? (laughs) Yeah, it was actually really stressful this year. I personally wasn't that stressed because we have a tiered qualification system. And so there is like objective criteria and I had met them. And so it was kind of like this year was fine, but we didn't get the official nod to like, no joke, 10 before days before. And wow. it was a bit of a stressful thing for a couple of athletes. I'm like, yeah, it was kind of just like, this isn't fair. They shouldn't be allowed to do this. Like, yeah, they should have to tell you a lot. There's also like family members are wondering and, I know other teams were making announcements and like we were waiting to make announcements and it was just like, I was just kind of, yeah, it was, it was a little stressful. And I, I can't imagine for the poor AOC, you have to book some flights. Like, you know, the, the, the yeah. further away you book, you get cheaper flights. Poor old AOC having to book last minute yeah. flights to freaking China. Come on. No, you start booking the flights now for the next one. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> get them, get them going. Oh, Which I, I, I love asking this question when it comes to, like a moment you feel like an Olympian. Cause some people it's the moment you're officially selected. Some people it's the moment you cross the finish line in your first event. Do you, do you have sort of a, a moment to you back in 2018 where you felt you were an Olympian? Yeah, it's interesting. I would, I wouldn't say there was a moment, but if you like with that, I felt it. But um, if you ask me, yeah, for me, it would be like the when I like after my first race, um, that first Olympics was really special because I had so many family members come and it was like that made it like you'd, you'd finish the race and go see like I had seriously like cousins and like I had, all sorts of people came from all over the world and then you go see them and you felt like it felt more special so for me maybe that is what I identify as like me like becoming an Olympian was like going through the stands and like finding my family and like them being so excited and being like oh my god like you're an Olympian and I'm like yeah yeah it's really cool <laughs> Um, but that was a little different this time around. So, because you don't there. know, obviously, like back then, it's sort of a quote normal Olympics, whereas you don't know in four yeah. years' time that, you know, great, I get to go to another Olympics, but it's going to be a little bit different with sort of COVID and everything like that. But did you get to experience like opening, closing ceremonies, things like that, sort of uh, get sort of tied up into all that kind of atmosphere during Pyeongchang? So, the girls, Nordic girls get like, I don't know, like someone, whoever's listening to this can like make a change because we have the first and last event of the entire games, every single freaking game. So I got to go to the closing ceremonies 
in Pyeongchang, but I literally like, cause we also race, like we started at like, cause they do it for TV time. We started at like two o'clock. It's a 30 K, you know, you're kind of out for an hour and a half. And then you gotta like, you know, finish the race or whatever and like get back to the, so it takes a while. And I literally got home and like had to change and like 15 minutes later leave for the closing ceremonies. And like, wow. like an hour and a half race. I remember I think Phil or something got me like, I don't know, like a piece of pizza from the dining hall and brought it to me. And I feel like, it's just like, and then I got so sick on the flight home. So I think I was so wrecked from like going out all night. Um, but I barely, basically barely made it to the closing ceremonies. And this, this last Olympics, like the village, cause the way the villages are, it's not like it's a small trek. So the opening ceremonies, I think they did like a 10 hour day to get there. And then they really scared you. They're like, there's not going to be any food. You're not allowed to eat. And I had a race the next day. Like literally I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. That's the worst idea ever. I'm not even beyond my feet, like not eating the day before a race. And then the closing ceremonies again, it was like, yeah, I had to leave like 20 minutes after the race. And then I actually had to fly out that night because there weren't that many flights to where we were going. And so I just like missed everything. Wow. <laughs> it was a bit devastating. I know it's my sad Jeez. story. So, Whoever's like in charge can try to switch the events around a bit. So yeah, come on, Milan Cortina, if you're listening, let's make a, let's make a change basically for 2026. Yeah. Which it's just because like I mean, as sort of the armchair guy who you know will never make the Olympics, but I can dream. It's always like, oh, look, oh, I'll do everything. I'll do the opening. I'll do the closing. Bugger if I'm competing yeah. the next morning. I don't give a shit. Like, give me an hour of sleep. But again, I'm not a professional athlete, Jess, so I can make these things up in my head, and it probably doesn't make sense to most people. Yeah, it's it was it's super tough decision because and actually this time around it wasn't tough for me at all because I just was like I'm not driving ten hours anywhere and I'm like we'll need to eat. Like that just sounded like miserable. But yeah, I know like the the boys on the team, like Phil and I know Sevi, especially Phil. Phil's like dead set on I think he's been to he's a triple Olympian, he's been to every the opening and the closing every single time and he's just like <laughs> no matter what, he will be there. <laughs> And like, I'm like, yes, also, like, you didn't have as bad of a situation as the girls, but I bet you if he was racing, he still would have gone. Like, he's like, wow. like most dedicated. But it, I mean, it makes sense when you go, like, I loved the closing ceremonies. I thought it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. Um, I think opening ceremonies, it's a bit stressful because you're like more focused on the racing and you're like a little, like, not so relaxed. But I'm, I'm very bummed about the closing because that's a really cool experience because you're totally like it's all over and you're just like everyone's like, huh, and you're just more like, you're less like stressed about what's to come. Was BTS at the closing ceremony in 2018 or did they do the, op the opening ceremony? I think they did the closing, didn't they? In 2018? Yeah, I'm pretty sure no, they were there. Martin Garrett was... Um, but they had a K-pop section, and I'm trying to remember if BTS was in the opening or the closing back in 2018. Did you know, like, so before they were famous or something, because I missed. This was like right on the cusp. It was like right. That um, was yeah, so like I think it was just before they made it big, but like they they were definitely at one of them. So you could have, if they were at the yeah. closing, you could have seen them. I might have seen them and like don't know until I'm gonna have to Google it after this conversation mm. because. You, you might be like, oh my god, who were they? And now you realize like, wow, that's who they were. Like there you go. Yeah. That very well could have happened, and I missed mm. it. Because I remember being very disappointed that Psy didn't perform. I just thought for sure that we were going to close out with Gangnam Style, but it just didn't happen. So, I know, what the heck? Yeah, I know, right? Of all the things to have. Uh, you have five events 
2018, which, you know, you obviously do that again in 2022. But I mentioned at the top how you hold the record for best individual performance. But uh, also back in 2018, uh, you were 12th with Barbara in the uh, the team sprint, which uh, also a best record. I mean, did you leave Pyeongchang sort of, you know, satisfied with your first Olympics? Had you set yourself a goal and you would achieve those? I mean, kind of how did you leave the competition side of things feeling you had gone? Um, Pyeongchang, I was not, well, at the time, like I had actually a really quite good, one of the races was quite good for me. The, like the team sprint went really well. I was happy about that. And then the 10 K skate was pretty good too, but it was actually like the rest of the races I wasn't very happy with. And then the next season, like the world championships were the next season. And I kind of wasn't even sure if I was going to keep skiing past that year, but I skied the next year anyway, cause it was world champs. And I actually had like the best season of my life by a landslide. And I was like, Oh man, like I need to ski another three years for the Olympics. Um, and I think at that point I kind of was disappointed in how my Olympics had gone just because I skied so much faster a year later. Like if I had skied that well at the Olympics, it would have looked really good. And I was like, dang, I need to do this next time. So, um, I feel like I was happy, but then in retrospect, I'm not. Um, if that makes sense. Which it's, I mean, I can imagine it's kind of one of those things as an athlete where, particularly Olympic athletes, where you have that four-year cycle to try and peak to get those performances in Olympics because that's when the world's watching. But, you know, sometimes it falls a bit strange where it goes into that off cycle, as you're sort of saying there. So, I mean, is there a, a way that you can kind of channel that to try and make sure that it happens in the right year rather than one of the off years that's not an Olympic year, if that makes sense? Yeah, there definitely is. Like you just try to nail your training down and that's, um, that's something I tried to do this past year, but it's just like always easier said than done. And I think there's a level for me, at least there's a level of like stress involved and like you, it's, you know, they always make the saying, it's like the happy skier is a fast skier. And I feel like sometimes just like the stress of like Olympics and like high stakes competitions and like just all of that kind of takes away from it for me, which is a bummer. Um, but I think it, most of it's just dialing in like your training and things like that. Um, so yeah, I think you can tell you, there's definitely control of it. I think I changed my training quite a bit, like after the first Olympics and that maybe contributed to it too. So just, just quickly before I go into the next question, just on, on a side note, back to BTS, cause I was fascinated by this too. Yeah. Jess, so I will correct myself. They didn't perform. They were asked to, but they had to decline. Um, at the closing ceremony, you would have been witness to South Korean singer and rapper CL, as well as the uh, group EXO, which I got confused with EXO over BTS, and then Martin Garrix performed yeah. at the end there. So um, apologies to our BTS fans. You're probably screaming going, Ben, you're wrong. Come on. you know you got to know everything about BTS. But apparently were yeah. invited but had to decline. So That's sad. a bummer. That's a decline. That yeah. would have been very cool to see that. There it is. There it is. You mentioned about possibly giving up sport what was it that kind of maybe sort of led you to possibly not going on to Beijing and maybe hanging up the skis sort of after 2018 uh, I just didn't feel like uh I don't know <laughs> I was applying to physio school at the time and I felt like it maybe was too much to keep doing that and skiing and I think that was part of it but then once I got there I kind of realized that I could keep training pretty well and so that was part of it um but I think 
a lot of the reason was just like the motivation from how fast I'd skied. So I, like, no matter what I made it happen. So even though I was way, way busier, like in the back of my head, I was like, you can, you know, like you, you need to ski at the next Olympics because like, I want to be able to like perform well as well as I had been. And so even if it was a bit difficult at the time, I, I was just really motivated. So it was mostly just knowing that I was kind of having a shift of like less focus on like maybe a traditional full-time training route. And I was like taking on doing a bit more training on my own and like working around the school schedule and stuff like that. So I was just like, well, maybe this won't work, but I just kind of was determined to make it happen then. Cause I can imagine it's that balance because I think, you know, particularly for Australian winter athletes where, you know, you're not uh, Ariane Titmus, a swimmer who's going to get, you know, Harvey Norman endorsements and that's going to be your career. You've got to obviously think about, you know, post-athletic career and your studies and all that kind of stuff. So it is that balance of of setting yourself up for life or a, a career as well as that athletic career as well. And I can imagine, particularly as you're saying, training, studying, it's it's tricky. And sometimes you've just really got to think about what's going to be best for you for the future, I can imagine. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, I'm kind of, yeah, it's like you said, like if you're not that high, high level, you're not like, there's a lot of skiers that are not just ski racing. Like most people are pursuing education or I've always worked as well, like doing, like I've worked in coffee for ages. Um, and then, yeah, just, just that, but I kind of value that because you want to have something else. And it's like, yeah, there is that added layer of stress when that's all you have. It almost like, you know, like if you have a bad race or something, you're like, well, it's okay. Like I have a lot going on otherwise and like a career and like that kind of thing. It's really stressful if you feel like you've put everything into skiing, that's all you have. And then you're like, slow. It's like, that will shoot. Like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of nice in a way, but it does make it, you know, there's that other aspect of like, well, maybe you need to put 150% in and you can't focus on anything else to be as good as you want to be. But I don't know. There's a balance point, I think. And everyone's you, different. So. You mentioned coffee being a barista. Um, yeah. Looking through your Instagram a little bit and also reading up a bit, you're a bit of a latte art fan. Um, uh, yeah. So is this something that, uh, you know, you just got that passion for when you're working as a barista? Is it something you still like to do, kind of perfect the latte art? I guess I don't do it much anymore because I don't have the opportunity, sadly, because I don't have an espresso machine. Um, but yes, I think the job is quite boring without that. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny because like, like the coffee shops where they just put a lid on it. I'm like, gosh, that would like, and they just pour it and they don't do anything. Like, I would have quit ages ago because it's like the only entertaining part. Now, I love talking to like patient or clients and things like they're I'm thinking of clients right now, customers um, and that aspect of it. But yes, it's very it's fun to work on because it's not always the most thrilling otherwise. So it was cool to perfect that skill. My parents have an espresso machine. So whenever uh, ever I'm there, I'll work just, on it. Just go to town. Just, yeah. I'm like, I'm just like, who needs a latte? Making <laughs> 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 them all day. And they're like, okay, we're over it. Um, but yeah, I, it's really fun for me. So I definitely. What, what's to- the best one you've ever done? And is there also one that you just, it's the granddaddy of latte art that you really want to get to one day? Yeah, look, I'm not, like, I've mostly been, like, perfecting, like, really good tulips, so, like, layers of tulips, so you try and get, like, you know, where it's, like, there's, like, 12-layer tulips or whatever, Um, but I didn't really, like, you know, like, some people are really good at the swan, Mm -hmm. Um, wouldn't say that's, like, my strong point, Um, (laughs) but I haven't done much of the stenciling either, like, people will do, like, I've always done just three pours, but some people will take, like, the 
the thermometer or whatever and then like stencil in eyes and make like a dolphin and i'm just like that's too much <laughs> <laughs> too too fancy too fancy Mind-blown. like yeah so like I, I guess if i got into it again i could try do, do they do like olympic rings in the olympic village like are there baristas there trying to be all like oh look at that. i've got olympic rings for your latte well we you know so we did at the last Olympics. We had um, we had a barista who came with us, and it was awesome. So they had like our in-house latte. So it actually came with you. So this is like an Australian AOC designated yeah. barista. Wow! He was, like hired to be there as the barista. Like it was crazy. So he was there. It was awesome. It was like genuinely. People were so jealous too. I had like teammate or like friends from the US being like, "Do you think you can bring me a latte?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, so he never did Olympic rings and, you know, I should have asked. So Yeah, jeez. Really I thought that'd be like the one, you know, job description to being the AOC barista. You have to do no. Olympic rings. We should have had like a whole like hiring process. No, he was great. I can't hate on him at all. So <laughs> No, that's, I mean, that's something to strive for for our baristas. You can go yeah. to the Olympics as a barista. <laughs> like just, you know, so yeah. was Team USA didn't have one. Was this just a purely Australian thing? Yeah, we had, dude, Team Australia had it dialed. So we had our own, like the dining hall wasn't great there. <laughs> and like, I never, to be honest, I think I had like one meal there or I'd walk through and grab like, they had little cones, like you could grab like to-go ice creams. And I, we didn't, went and had KFC one night too. That was pretty good. Um, like I think after one of the races, but So KFC was there- but no McDonald's because we lost McDonald's, didn't we? So Yeah, no, they had like, did you see they had like the cubicle thing set up? Yeah, um, yeah. Like, I don't know, it was pretty stressful with COVID at first because you didn't want to get it because you didn't want to go into like isolation or something. So the Australian team just had our own like set up with food. And I think they initially had anticipated that like not everyone would eat there, but the food was way better. And like, it was really convenient and you didn't, weren't going to get COVID. So I basically like, we just ate every meal at the, like at our team building, whatever it's called. Um, so where was I going with this? What were we talking about? Um, oh yes. We also had the latte situation going and other nations. Like I have a lot of friends on the U S team and they were just like, we're dying. We haven't eaten at the food at the food hall and it's like really bad food. And like, and I guess they had some breakfast options, but it was things like they only had skim milk. <laughs> like, <laughs> like just like really, they're just like, it's terrible. So we were so lucky. It was like the greatest thing. And it also just made it like, I don't know. It was like more fun and, it was kind of a team environment. Like I think we had a nutritionist who was initially like doing most of the cooking, but it became such a big operation that like physios were helping and it was like this big team effort to make these meals. And it was pretty cool. I think we had wow. it better than the other teams. So. so basically through all of that, Brisbane 2032, it's going to be the best cooking experience ever in an Olympic village because we're just practicing for the next 10 years. Yeah, clearly. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's yeah. insane. I, I love learning these things like that before Beijing in that period. Um, two big events that you took part in that you won on the skiing side of things. Uh, you won the Burke, is it the Berkebiner American big race? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The biggest cross country race in the US, which I believe you are the only non European slash North American to ever win. Uh, and oh, you also. Also won the Mount Marathon um, event as well, which is a mountain running event. So yeah. give us a bit of an insight into this. I mean, first of all, the the Berkman, I mean, from what I've been reading and, and looking up on this, this is an amazing event. I mean, what was it like to win that? That was really cool, actually. Probably the coolest thing of my athletic career, I'd say. Um, yeah, so it's like a 50K and it's 
yeah, quite a large race, but also has like quite a bit of prize money. So that was really great. And that's kind of why I went like, well, this could be cool. Like maybe I'll win a bit of money, like not thinking I would win it. Um, but I, it was really interesting because it was when I was at my peak busyness in school and like, I had an exam, like, I think the race was on a Saturday. I had an exam on the Friday morning that I couldn't get out of. And so I asked the professor for, basically I said, well, can I leave right after the exam and just like, I'll, you know, like catch up on whatever I miss for the rest of the day another time but I'll take the test. And so I flew, like I got on a plane, traveled like 12 hours, but like was kind of like, normally the day before a race, you like, you go for a ski and you like rest. And it's like very like methodical and like whatever. And I just didn't even do any of that. I had sent my skis with someone else so that they would wax them so they'd be ready for me. Didn't preview the course or anything. I was kind of like running through the airport to like keep my legs from like stiffening up. Cause I had also had like a, it was like, two flights plus like a four and a half hour drive or something or ridiculous. So I got in at like 10 PM had to get up at like six for this race. And I just was like, this will probably be a disaster. Like likely will be a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, it was like the best race of my life. So it was cool because it was like, you know, like the coolest race to win. And then on top of that, it like teaches you this lesson of that, like, you know, you don't have to do things perfectly to succeed. And sometimes maybe doing things quote unquote perfectly is not perfect. And I think that has been something like that lesson alone. It's like, you know, when you're having like a day before a race where you're like, Oh no, things are not going like my way. And like, this is really stressful or that kind of thing. Like I think about that and I'm like, no, it doesn't need to be this like perfect situation. And like, you don't need to do everything a certain way. And like, I think that's been a really cool lesson to learn. So that's maybe why it was like the most special thing for me to win. I was going to say, maybe you did need to go to the opening ceremony then in Beijing to kind of go through all that and just wake up the next morning and like just bugger it. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But I really don't like long car. I would have gotten car sick. So Uh, (laughs) they like make the buses really hot and you're just kind of like die. (laughs) Experience sitting on like, transportation i that's i'd rather go for a ski so (laughs) simple which and then so the mount marathon race itself so this obviously isn't a skiing race this is um this is mountain running so i mean tell us a little bit about that one and what was it like to win that that was really cool too it's like this really epic race in alaska so basically you go up this it's not a marathon they just the name of the mountain is mount marathon um but it's it's a, a place called Seward, Alaska. It's very cool. You should go there if you ever go to Alaska, but it's like on the ocean. And then there's basically this giant mountain that comes out of the ocean and you run up and it's really cool. Cause you can actually like stand on the street and kind of see everyone running up. Wow. And I think it goes, I can't know how high it goes actually, but it takes about, I want to say it's like 3000 feet of vertical. So I don't know what that is in meters. I only know this cause everyone has these stickers in Alaska that ha- like literally on their bumpers on their cars it's like 3200 feet or whatever like means that you made it up mount marathon right. um yeah so anyways so you go to the top and then you like run back down but it's really epic because it it's like so steep in areas that you're like literally like climbing and so then wow. on the way down it's like so the the guys like the fastest men go up in like 30 minutes and then they come down in like eight or nine minutes that's how wow. fast you're like flying that's down insane. this thing it's scary. Like the, the, the top of the mountain's shale. So you're basically like, as you step into the shale, it like you slide down it and then you actually, there's snow at the top. So you like can just like slide on your butt down. 
It's kind of crazy. So you basically and then you get- almost like skeleton on the way back down then. It's a luge, basically. Yeah, <laughs> we're at the top. So, like, literally, like, you, you get to this top of the thing. You're, like, dying because you've been, like, crawling up this mountain. You don't even hardly run because it's so steep. And then you... <laughs> You literally get on your butt. It's kind of nice because it's like a little bit of break, actually, but you slide down <laughs> the snow. And, but it's scary because the snow hits the shale. So you like might like fly into the shale and like tear your butt up or something. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. And then you run down the shale and that kind of is like, it's loose. So you kind of like accelerate down it. So it's like you're kind of flying. And then you hit this bottom section that's like kind of, you have to like climb through certain sections because it's like really like, watery and sketchy it's like i don't know i thought i would never do it but i got in one year it's like on a water system and i was like well I'll just do it and you know there's like this kind of reputation that it's too dangerous for skiers because you might like hurt yourself and i like you totally could but you also can hurt yourself doing anything um so but it's very cool i, I don't know where i'm going with this but the race is very unique like if you ever mm. get a chance to go to alaska on the fourth of july it's the coolest scene because like thousands of people come and watch and um it's just like this really fun scene just to be hanging around and watching the race but like to then win it as well is like massive because you're just like like it's just a very cool very cool race because there's so many people cheering and it's like pretty epic so it's crazy i love hearing these sort of events because you you know when you've got such a tradition and as you're saying so many people get behind it i just always think of when it first started like how do people come up hey it's in that mountain up there let's run up and come back down let's do that and then but you know 50 years later it's like this big event that everybody does that's what happened apparently two guys in a bar were like i bet you i can get up this faster than you and (laughs) i'm like not joking this is what happens raced to the top and now it's like an actual race best things always start by couple of people in a bar right like yeah i can do that yeah sure right um there you I go so, actually yeah <laughs> probably a naughty yeah. combined started right i bet you i can ski jump and then ski a lot longer yeah. than you okay done let's do it game on yeah that simple uh beijing uh, again as i mentioned a couple of times now um you, you came away 31st in the ski athlon which is the highest ever finish by uh individual athlete by an australian at the olympic games how is that to, to hear that? I mean, I just must be something pretty special for you to come away and hold that record because, uh, I, I mean, you know, you, you're an Australian Olympian, two-time Olympian who holds an Australian Olympic record. So, I mean, how is that reflecting on that now, uh, three or four months removed from uh, achieving that feat? It's actually very special to me because I felt like I missed my mark that I wanted at this last Olympics. And in that race, like, I the other devastate, I really wanted to be top 30 and I was like in 26 at one point and then I'm like kind of bad at sprinting so like four girls passed me in the finish shoot and that was like I literally looked up at the finish like I looked up at the board and I was like really 31st <laughs> like I was like all I wanted was to be top 30 I'm <laughs> like 31st I was like you're kidding me um and so and that was like my big goal and so then having that achievement I think like made it better because I I was like, well, I didn't do that, but like, like that was pretty special for me. So I felt like for me, it is a huge achievement and I'm like really happy with the result that day. Um, so yeah, it means a lot, I guess. And I think I only got it by one place. So I'm pretty sure Barbara had it before and, or maybe she was 33rd or something. So it was like I think it was 32nd. Cause I remember sort of going into that. Uh, there was, I think I she just, there was 32nd yeah. was a couple there, which 
I mean, d- does it take, do, d- are you informed of that like pretty much straight away or like did you know that beforehand or how long does it take till somebody goes, oh, by the way, Jess, this is, you created history. Sorry, you didn't get top 30, but you now are a history maker. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't actually know at the time because my goal was so much so to be top 30 that I, and I knew if I did that, I, I knew that would be it, but it wasn't like it was a goal. I just knew that if I skied to like the potential or like if I got the results I wanted, it would have been that. But yeah, I didn't like think about it going into, you know, I, I was more like thinking from a personal standpoint than like, I just want to set the record or something like that. But yeah. What was, I mean, the mood itself amongst the team, like one thing we talked a lot about during the games and we talked to Casey about was kind of, you guys always look like you're having fun. You're doing some great stuff on social media and kind of putting out some fun videos and even throughout the games and everything, you guys just always look like you're having fun. So, I mean, is it, is the Australian cross country team just the fun team of the Olympics? Not to take away from all our other great teams that we had at the Olympics, but I swear the cross country team is just, that's where the party bus is, right? We certainly tried to be. Yeah, we... We actually like, cause I did like an Instagram takeover beforehand and we were like, all right, we're going to like make it like, we're going to make this like the coolest, you know, like <laughs> it was like, we're having the most fun, but we were also, we, we kind of do have the most fun. Like we had a really good team atmosphere and I think COVID like really bonded us this year because we were stuck in this house together and it was like, we can't go see anyone. Don't like talk to anyone because we can't get COVID because we're all going to get COVID and no one's going to the Olympics. We're all just like, all right, buckle down. So we spent a lot of time together. Um, but it was fun. And like, we do have a really good time. It's a really good atmosphere. Um, there was not this like weird competitive thing where people are like out to get each other. Like we're all really good friends. And, um, I mean, I've been traveling with some of these athletes for like eight years. And so I know them very well, like Casey and Phil, like we've been doing this for ages together. So I think, yeah, you end up, you end up like, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't be doing it still if they were like horrible people. So, you know, (laughs) Maybe that's generally, generally how it works. I think sometimes <laughs> with these things, yeah. hopefully you, you'd want to want to think that way, which I mean, it's a question I'm sure that everyone keeps asking you. You hate getting this question so close to having finished your second Olympics, but do you look towards 2026 or is it something that you still haven't really made your mind up and you'll kind of work that out eventually? I'm kind of like working it out. I would love to compete, but it's like right now I am focusing on finishing up. Like I only have, I don't know. 15 weeks left or something of my physio and then I get to like go and like get paid to do what I do and that kind of thing. So I'm trying to like get, you know, kind of focus on that right now. Um, so that's like the top priority, but I don't know. It's kind of like, I would love to compete and there's a high chance that I will, but then there's also a chance that I want. So we'll just kind of see how things go. Cause it comes in that level, isn't it? Where basically, cause you're still quite young and sort of you're in that, I guess, age frame where, cross-country skiers kind of hit their peak right sort of it's late 20s early 30s which is generally sort of the the peak for a cross-country skier yeah and that's what's tough about it is like you it's like if I just started skiing really slowly I'd probably like throw it in but when you have like success you're like well maybe I could get better I don't know so it's I think it'll just see like if if it'll depend on how racing goes like over the next couple years and like I've definitely shifted my emphasis on my training and things like that. But if I still feel like I can ski fast and um, that kind of thing, like I'll go, I wouldn't say I'm the person that's just going to like, kind of like, you know, half-ass it, I guess. Um, Like I only really want to be skiing. Like it's not fun to do something when you know you're really fat, you know, you're not reaching your potential or you're not putting in as much effort and getting out as much as you, as you could be. 
And so there's that element of it. But if I feel like, you know, I can achieve good results and ski fast for myself, then it's like something I'll keep pursuing. So well, we'll definitely be uh, keeping an eye on how that goes. Now, Jess, we'd like to yeah. close out with a set of fun, get to know you style questions. But before I get okay. to that, um, piano, I believe you're a bit of a piano player. Um, what what sort of do you like to play? And is this something that, have you got a, a YouTube channel or like, you know, something that you could pursue a little bit more with the piano? No, God, no, I do not have a YouTube channel. Um, I'm not that good. Uh, <laughs> But <laughs> you would, be. and also if you've seen some of the people that do have YouTube channels, they're quite good. Um, but no, it was, it's funny. I grew up playing the piano a bit and I like didn't do it for ages. I was like forced to play piano. My mom made me play and I was like, how oh, stupid. I hate this. And then like one Halloween, I was like at a party and I was just not really into the party and there's a piano and I was like, I'm going to go play it. And it was like this weird, I hadn't played piano in like 10 years. And I was just like, oh my God, this is great. And so then I, that started like maybe like eight years ago or something. But since then I like went through this phase of downloading like music that I know. And so I would like go on like line and like just find songs of like sheet music of people that had like basically composed or what, I don't, what do you call it? Like transposed like pop songs. Like- but mostly this is like all turns out like all Coldplay. Because <laughs> I love Coldplay. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I'm like obsessed with, but I think part of it is that they have like they do. You know, like the older stuff. It's like a rush of blood to the head. Like a lot yeah. of that's piano music, and yeah. so I think it sounds really good on the piano. And so, like, I don't know. Think about like the scientists. Like, it's a fun one to yeah. play. Um. So basically, that's all I play now. Like, um, if I find a piano, I'm just like, oh, I'm just gonna play some Coldplay. <laughs> but I'm not. There you go. Good. Thanks, but, mom. Like, some, people, some people are impressed. They're like, nice. Like, that's really cool. And then others are like way better. So, <laughs> um, yeah. but it's kind of a bad instrument because like traveling around a lot, like I don't have a piano. So, mm. so like you just put like, carry on. I know. I'm like, what? It's such a, like you lug it around. Everyone's like, get a keyboard. I'm like, some of like, they're, I don't know. They don't sound that good. So it's a bit Not depressing. Not the same. Yeah. yeah well, there so. you One go. Day. We'll just. Keep practicing the Coldplay. Maybe you could start up it. You could be like the masked singer. Like if you don't want to like show your face, like you could just, you know, do the masked skier. They probably do me off stage or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> just like know, Coldplay or not. So it would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that too. As I said, we wrap up. So these questions, as always, are based on a Team Canada questionnaire they gave their athletes ahead of both Pyeongchang wow. and Rio. Uh, okay. and Simply get to know yourself. Question there. If you feel the need, there is a drawing element. Again, it's always optional. You can right. draw if you want to. I believe Casey sent us a drawing. So, you know, if you're competitive you with Casey. I remember that. Yeah. Yes. So, just if you okay. want to see if you can draw better than her. Uh, your favorite all time Olympic moment is? Oh, my gosh. Um,. The um, cyclist that won in um, Tokyo, the girl, female cyclist that won the road race. Ah, uh, yes. Was, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep, yep, yep. It was yep. freaking awesome. She just went off the front. She hammered and just dropped everyone, and it was the most badass thing I've ever seen. And she was didn't – was it? Was I not mistaken? She didn't even realize she was winning, I think. Like she kind of no, crossed she, the line. She realized the people behind her didn't realize. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And they, they thought they were in the winning group and then they didn't realize. Yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah that and was. Know, this girl's been done for five minutes because you let her go because you just didn't even think that someone else had a chance at winning. And I thought that was pretty freaking cool. So good It must her. be the most insane thing to think like, oh, we can, I'm crossing the line on winning gold. It's like, guess what? You had a silver. And you're like, what? 
Guess like, what, Ian? When someone's been being, I mean, it's like a bummer, <laughs> but it's actually quite sad. But I thought it was pretty cool because, I mean, she literally like went from the line, and I'm like, that takes guts, and that's inspirational. It's cool. So yeah, oh, good answer. I like that. Uh, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, it would actually be the ability to fall asleep. <laughs> this is so weird when you're like. This is not- <laughs> I like where this is going. Um. The ability, it would be the ability to turn myself off because I'm a mm. really bad sleeper and like really, really bad and it sucks. And when you lay awake all night, it's not fun. And sometimes I just wish I could like have an on and off and you could like set it and be like, wake up in seven hours. And you would just like, boop, boop. And like actually when you wake up, not like have to lay there for like half an hour. Oh, like you, you are literally just like, I'm awake, time to get up. Yeah. Like so I could like program like a robot and like yeah. I could just. That sounds that so is, No, I think that's something more people should have because I think most people, like if you could create a pill that could do that or some sort of technology, like you would be yeah. rich because mm-hmm. that would be perfect. Like, no, I like that. First time yeah. I've had that answer, Jess, so good, good job. I like that. Uh, your favourite ever sports movie is? Oh, gosh. Bend It Like Beckham? <laughs> hey, Yes. That hasn't been mentioned in a while. I like that movie. Good movie. Good movie. I know. Yeah. One of Kira Knightley's very first ever movies, wasn't it? it was, like, yeah. 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 She was like 15 or something. I don't know if Jeez. it's before Pirates of the Caribbean or I don't know. It would have been. I think it was just because like she was she was sort of she was in Star Wars episode one kind of as like Natalie Portman's double, but like no one ever realized that until she became famous. So didn't really count. Like, but they, they kind of do. Yeah, they look very similar, like I think when you kind of look at it. Anyway, uh, good good choice. I like that. Um, your funniest childhood memory is? That's like really tough. Mm. <laughs> they have the very deep ones, the Canadians. They like to go right in there. <laughs> funniest, like funniest. Um, mm. Oh, my God. Like, uh, okay, this isn't the funniest one, but this like applies to this podcast. My first ever cross-country ski race I literally, like, I was terrible. I'd skied, like, three times. And I was, like, in last place. And, like, I got stuck in a snowbank because I, like, toppled over. Like, my skis, like, went into it. And I was, like, upside down. <laughs> and I was, like, all the people were past me. And I was, like, what a dumb sport. So there you go. It's inspiration for you. This is, like, Very inspirational. I was, like, I was, like, 13. I was, like, oh, my God. Like, who, like, this is horrendous. And here I am now. So now you're know. a two time Olympian who holds an Australian you record. You can achieve. <laughs> there you go. Everybody listening who's hating the sport they're in right now, you too could be a two time Olympian and creating totally, yeah. Australian <laughs> history. Uh, what is your favorite pump up song? Oh. Um, you know, I'm like a really big fan of just like Kygo. Mm-hmm. Like his. Um, but that's not like a specific song. I think to be super lame, but remember the name by Fort Minor, you know, yeah. it really gets going yeah. as lame as it, as it is. It kind of like does like you hear it and you're like, wow, I am kind of pumped up. <laughs> so- well, that's That works. They're there for a reason, right? So, hey. You know, usually like I'll, I'll play like Kygo albums and like I just find that music very like yeah, I'm fired up now. So. You're, not, you're not playing your cold play piano music just to really get you like. <laughs> no, really fire me up. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do a bit of Viva La Vida, like dun 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 dun, like that sort of music. Yeah, not that quite. That kind of is. It's like a little, yeah. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit there. Um, the most recent TV show you binge watched is. Oh God. Um, actually, The Queen's Gambit. Yep. Okay. 
but that was a while ago I try to avoid it because I'm like I really do binge watch so it's like if I'm like I just have to like stay away because it's like once I'm in I'm in it's all over and that's so why I you don't sleep apparently that's just <laughs> really bad yeah so but I did binge watch that like I finished it in like a day I was like so hooked <laughs> wow good job uh your least favorite foods are Ooh, um gosh I actually like really like most things um least favorite I don't love Ooh, stuff with um What's that spice that's like licorice, anise seed or whatever? Uh, like it's, anise seed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anise seed, uh, yes. Or like licorice tea. I hate licorice tea. It's disgusting. Okay. And so just not a licorice fan? No, I don't actually mind licorice. It's more like licorice tea. That would probably be like the number one thing. Like if you gave me a cup of tea and it has like, if you look on the ingredients, it'll have like licorice. Like sometimes Sleepy Time tea has it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I can't drink it. It's just foul. Wow. <laughs> but I could probably eat the licorice. So it's more like a tea thing. I don't know. It's weird. My um grandma used to have aniseed balls that she used to just eat, like these yeah. little balls of aniseed. And I'm like, that is a very interesting thing to eat. So, yeah. Ah, interesting. Uh, if you weren't an athlete, what would you be? Ooh. Um, like no athlete at all. Um, I probably would have just like immersed myself in medicine and become a doctor or something like that. Yeah. And is that, so you're currently studying to be a physio, is it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think medicine was something I always like thought about, but it always like seemed like too hard with wanting to, I really like to like get out and enjoy life and exercise a lot, a lot. And I just felt like it was maybe too much because <laughs> I had to, <laughs> I felt like it was maybe too much of like, there's just a bit more of like the, also like the time commitment of like how long it would take. And I was just like, oh God, like 10 more years. Like I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do I love like the medical side of things so yeah <laughs> perfect I, I love the honesty in this interview Jess it's working very well it's kind of going that way uh your favorite vacation spot is oh gosh that's tough actually Moab it's in Utah have you heard of it no I can't it's say I have in the desert um it's just ama- I'm like really into mountain biking and it's like amazing mountain biking and there's nothing I like better than like having like four days to go camp and basically ride my bike all day and come back and have lime corn chips and beer. And that's like, <laughs> nice. that's, like my, that's my ideal day. That's and a happy like, place. It has to be really sunny and you just lay there. Oh, but then you have to be able to go for a swim too. Right. So there's no river around. It's like kind of like out for me. But other than that, Bunker Bay, which is down south in Perth, um, down south of Perth, but um it that's like where I grew up going um like as a kid my family had has a little place down there and so that's like my my beach location but right now I'd rather go for a mountain bike trip so (laughs) got me thinking of 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 the lion chips now and beer like that's um oh it's like my favorite yeah (laughs) yeah geez that's um I'm I'm liking the sound of that uh what's something people usually describe you as oh gosh um I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to get someone on the line here right now to, to test this? I mean, probably people like just as general friends would say that like, I'm like very um, like athletic or, but like, um, like, like, I, I don't know, I guess it's not athletic, but that I like exercise a lot. So I don't know if that's not really a descriptor, but like, you know, if you talk to like my friends, they'd be like, Oh, Jess is just like, 
like obsessed with like running and biking and like doing things all the time. That works. That yeah, works. So that, that's probably how I'd be described. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll do a straw poll. Any any of your friends that are listening, feel free to uh, comment to this. Are we? I mean, I asked sort of a slight question on this earlier, but I don't know if it's the same. But uh, growing up, uh, who was your favorite sports team? Oh, I don't know. Um, gosh, it's hard because I didn't follow like a lot of like. I wouldn't say I follow a lot of team sports. Like I was more into following like, cause I was a swimmer. So I loved like that kind of stuff. Um, favorite sports team. You can, you can go back and just like, I mean, interested with a swimmer. Like, I mean, if you're following swimming and yeah. you're sort of dual American like Australian, yeah. are you Thorpey or are you Phelps? Like, I mean, kind of. Yeah, like, I was like, yeah. I remember like growing up and being like, like thinking like Ian Thorpe was the greatest and things like that. Like I was more into like, that aspect of it than like teams not so much like felt yeah like I felt like wasn't like a huge like Phelps like nuthead but yeah like I don't know yeah that's really tough and then I followed cycling a lot too so there was a lot of like female cyclists that was really like enemies yeah mm -hmm. um and like Kristen Armstrong I don't know if you know she is but I was Mm -hmm. a big fan of her so I don't know Feel like more. That's like that's an answer. We'll take that. that. My my like who I idolized as a kid than like maybe sports teams so much. But that works. That works. Uh, If you could be an, uh, I might know the answer to this one. If you could be an Olympian in any other sport besides your own, what would it be? Mountain biking. Is that something that you could? transition across because i mean it's sort of i know it's sort of particularly talking to a lot of canadian uh, olympians there's a transition say between speed skating and cycling but i mean i don't know if there's like a a cross-country skiing to cycling sort of transition period that you could look into doing yeah uh i i don't know i wouldn't like probably pursue that type of mountain biking like or like at that level, like the World Cup level, like to me, that's like, I don't know. If I'm going to do that, it's more like I'll, I'd ski, but I want to transition to like longer bike races and like more like races around the U.S. And like maybe like I've been wanting to do like more like I've signed up for like some 50 mile races, which I guess is like, what is that? 70, 80 K races yeah. like that. I don't know about like, I must feel like to be really good at like world cup mountain biking, you'd have to like train a little more specific. Whereas I'm more like just out there, like hammering for hours. And so maybe I'd do better on the long distance side of things, but yeah, <laughs> definitely like that's something I see in my future is doing more of that kind of stuff. Um, so we'll Fantastic. see. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. Last one for you, Jess, uh, this can be anything. It just simply is my guilty pleasure is. So is there something that you're, I mean, food, anything. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a very open-ended question. Lime chips and beer. Lime <laughs> chips and beer. <laughs> no. We've already answered that one. Exactly. Yes. I've been there. I wasn't kidding. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, actually. <laughs> simple, simple. The two drawing aspects here. So you can draw a picture of yourself or draw a picture of one of your teammates. So. Oh, uh, good. Who did Casey draw? Uh, she drew, did she not draw an animal? Was it not, was it hers? Was it like a, um, like describe yourself as an animal? Why am I thinking I think that? Was, yeah, possibly. Yeah. Cause I don't remember drawing a picture of herself. So. No, no. I'm pretty sure it was an animal from memory. So, uh, I mean, you, you're welcome to take that one as well. If you think of yourself as an animal, if there's something that, you know, oh, you got the yeah. inner, inner 
dragon or something. I have no idea where I'm going with that. Uh, Jess, before we let you go, uh, social media, websites, anything, people can stay up to date with what you're, you're doing in life and everything if people want to check out what you're doing? Um, yeah, Instagram mostly. So just JJ Yaten is my, I guess, at JJ Yaten. And then I do have a blog slash website. It's just my name at WordPress. But to be honest, I don't update it that much. But if I do have something really exciting, I will sometimes put it on there. Um, the only other thing I do is I write articles for fasterskier.com sometimes. So that's more of like, you're looking like I do some like physio contributions, like nutrition stuff and things like that. And so that's kind of like more of where I have been going with things recently. So it's kind of a cool place to check out if you're interested. Perfect. But, yeah. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, Jess, we, we really appreciate you uh, coming on, sharing your journey, giving some great answers, and uh, we look forward to maybe seeing you in 2026, fingers crossed. And yep. uh, now I feel like we all just need to just enjoy some lime chips and beer because I think that's how this interview just ended, basically. Yeah, just think of me, yeah. And a massive thanks to Jess there for her time. Lots of fun. Need to go get those lime chips and beer right now. Getting quite hungry doing the end of that chat. And if you enjoy listening to this, if you're one of our audio listeners and you want to see Jess, then, of course, you can find the video version of that via our YouTube channel. Simply search for Off the Podium on there. You'll be able to find it and you'll be able to see the visual aspect of this interview. So much coming your way, though. We're taking a bit of a break right now from interviews for the next month. It's Commonwealth Games time, people. Can you believe we are at the Commonwealth Games? We've just had one big major sporting event barely six months ago. We had another one barely a year ago, and we're back to doing another one. It's a busy year, 2022, but we will be doing four episodes on the Commonwealth Games, our most extensive coverage ever of the Commonwealth Games. Not quite the daily coverage that we do during the Olympics, but we'll be doing enough here. So we'll be back same time, same place next week for our Birmingham 2022 preview episode where Jared, Colin and myself will sit down, preview the games and give our hopes and thoughts and everything else on that. And after that, we will be doing an opening ceremony review followed by a first week review, then followed by a closing week and closing ceremony review. And for our non-Commonwealth listeners, so perhaps our American listeners who are listening to this or people outside of the Commonwealth who are going, what the hell are the Commonwealth Games? Well, they are basically the Olympics for Commonwealth nations. So 80-odd nations around the world who are still part of the British Commonwealth, our great overlords, the, the British Empire, we all come together and compete for about 11 days in a variety of sports. The majority of them are Olympic sports, but there are a couple of them that aren't Olympic sports. We've got netball, we've got lawn ball, we've got squash, we've got cricket, some sports that aren't Olympic sports. And we come together and we compete. So it's a lot of fun, particularly for Australia, because as I always say with the Commonwealth Games, I feel this is how America must feel during the Olympics because we win a lot of medals, a lot of medals, compared to what we say would win in the Olympics. So a bit of fun. And obviously Canada competes in it too. So Colin will be talking a lot from the Canadian perspective. And we'll have a bit of fun for the next month talking about the Commonwealth Games. Of course, the last time the Commonwealth Games were on, they were in Australia. I was working at them in the Gold Coast. So I had a different perspective from them back then. So it's going to be interesting to now be back in my living room watching them as opposed to being there and working on them. So uh, lots of excitement to come over the next few weeks for the Commonwealth Games. So stay tuned for that. And after the Commonwealth Games, we'll be back into bringing you some interviews. Have about uh, 10 to 15 weeks worth of interviews before we then get into another big sporting event the world cup 
Uh, we're going to do our very first ever World Cup coverage here and off the podium. So uh, given now that Australia has qualified for the World Cup, Canada, of course, has qualified for the World Cup for the first time since 1986. So there's a lot to get to from both our perspectives of the Australian and the Canadian perspective. So uh, lots to come for off the podium this year. An award-winning podcast. There you go. You thought I was not going to mention it, but I have. So you're welcome. But uh, stay tuned. Best way to stay tuned, of course, is to subscribe Mash the subscribe button on wherever you get your podcasts, be it Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever. Search for Off The Podium, subscribe. While you're there, leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. We always appreciate your feedback. And, of course, at the same time, follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Hit the subscribe, the like, whatever button it is there, and send us a message. Let us know what you're thinking of the show. If there's a guest you want us to get on, another type of show you want us to do, we're always open to suggestions. So... By all means, we appreciate the feedback, the response, and everything else that comes with it. Without you, we wouldn't have a show. We love you, every single one of you. So thank you very much for tuning in and helping support Off The Podium. Big thanks again to Jess. Thanks again to you for listening. My name is Ben. Shout out to Jason Momoa, as always. And until we next speak again, my name is Ben. And remember to go left. Go left.